chapter 1. You'll find it on page 1201 of your church Bibles. Hebrews 1, 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand? until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading can be found in John 17, verses 23 to 25. Glory to you, O Lord. This can be found, sorry, this can be found on page 1085. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, 
and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. I'd be um, very grateful if you would keep John's gospel open before you this morning and we're going to be digging into one verse and that's verse 24 of John 17. But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your words that we have before us this morning. Would we hear your voice? Would you speak? And would your servants listen? In Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want us to think about being wanted, not with a bounty over your head for your life, but by knowing the joy and comfort of being wanted by someone else and the emotion that that brings with it. What do I mean? So in family life, living as a member of a family, being cherished and valued just precisely because you belong to the family, because you're a son or daughter or father or brother or sister or anyone else. And that in itself makes us feel special that we belong to a family we're safe and that brings joy and hopefully that model of family life we see that in wider church family life where we love and cherish and make each other feel valued and loved and wanted too perhaps in in the workplace you've experienced this being wanted feeling acknowledged as a welcomed member of a team and the great joy and blessing that that brings. Or for those of you who found love uh, and are married, the deep sense of joy as another person publicly declares their love for you in the exchange of vows and rings. A love which says, you're the one for me at the exclusion of everyone else. And it's a great joy to feel wanted, isn't it? But on the flip side, to be unwanted in any of those areas can bring real sorrow and a real hardness of heart. And in a room this size, I'm sure that some of us have felt the pain of being unwanted. An unwanted child, being pushed aside in the family, even being pushed aside in the church family, being excluded from a friendship, being victimized in the workplace or in the school. Well, we're coming to the end of this awesome prayer in John 17. And Jesus has one final petition for us from verse 24. And hopefully this final petition is going to bring real encouragement to somebody here this morning. The clock is ticking in Jesus' earthly life. The shadow of the cross is looming He's about to leave the world and leave his followers behind. And his primary concern is not for himself, but he's concerned for those he's going to leave behind, his followers. That's who he's concerned for. So he's not concerned about the horror that that is ahead of him, but he takes time out to pray and to pray for us. And I think what we have before us this morning in verse 24 is probably the most important message the church could hear today. That's this, first point, Jesus wants his people. 
If you're a Christian, if you've placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he not only loves you, he not only likes you, but he wants you. Jesus wants you. That's such a message of comfort. Look at verse 24 with me. Father, I want those you have given me. Why does he want me, I hear you say from the back. Well, there's the answer. For the Christian believer among us this morning, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. And you are a wanted gift as well. You have been given to Jesus by the Father. You are the most precious gift our Heavenly Father has given to his divine Son. Well, it's Maya's birthday on Tuesday, and uh, Mel and I have been racking our brains. What on earth can we buy her uh, this year? What can we get her as she turns 11? And we delight to give our kids good gifts, don't we? Um, And I want to give her the best possible gift that we can afford. And you are the best possible gift that God the Father could give to God the Son. You're that valuable. Isn't that incredible? That is amazing. Look at verse 2 with me of John 17. For you, the Father, granted him, the Son, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. All those you have given him. Get this. You have been given and are being given to the Son. And what does the Son give you? Verse 2, he gives eternal life. Perhaps you've only considered uh, the Christian faith from your perspective before. That is, what do I get out of being a Christian? But you know what? We need to consider it the other way around because that's far more important. What is Jesus' inheritance from his Father? The Father who says, this is my Son who I love, With him I'm well pleased. Well, the Father gives you an eye to the Son. The Father gives the Son us. You are wanted by the one who has everything. Well, the question then becomes, how do I know that I've been given to the Son? Have a look at verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. Well, who is the them alone? Jesus' followers, uh, those who are with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Jesus says, I'm not praying for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe, future tense, those who will believe in me through their message. How do you know if you belong to the Son? Well, you believe his word. Jesus is praying for Christians in all places and at all times and everywhere. Christians who believe the testimony of the early disciples recorded in the gospel accounts. And what's the message? Well, it's a dominant theme that runs all the way through John's gospel. And that is that you believe. I don't have time to go through those references now. Um, But if you come back this evening, we can go through those references if you're interested. But flick back a couple of pages to John 14. Because Jesus says, John 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. That word trust 
is the same root word as believe. Believe in God and believe in me, Jesus says. In verse 3 he says, and if, I go, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Jesus is going to go to the cross and then he's going to go away for a while. And he's going to go away and he's going to prepare a place for us. And he's going to come back and he's going to take you to be with him. God the Son came precisely so that he could suffer and die in the place of his people. And that by believing in what he's done, you're credited with life in his name. So the primary application to this first part of the verse becomes very obvious. Do you believe? Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in the one who is more concerned to pray for you than what was facing him, his own death, and him thinking of himself? Do you believe that the one who has absolutely everything, well, he wants you? Do you believe that? Secondly, uh, the second thing we see from verse 24 of John 17 is that Jesus wants his people to be with him. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Could a minister of the gospel say anything more comforting to your soul than this? As a Christian, you and I are God's chosen people. Is there any more glorious news that you could hear today than that? To be comforted by that. You and I are in the special interest of God. You occupy his thoughts. You occupy his prayers. He knew that you would be his before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve were created, before God had made anything. He knew that you would be his people. John chapter 15 verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. To someone here today, apprehensive of the love of God, unsure if they're okay with their maker, well, would this text bring real comfort in the face of your anxiety and your fear? Every single one of us in this room, the Bible says, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know that. We've missed the mark. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, there's no one right before God, not even one. No one seeks God. No one understands. All are outside God's life and God's love by nature. But he sent his son into the world on a search and rescue mission to find you, to find us. Everything Jesus did in this world, he did for you, to bring you and I back into relationship with himself. So the son is able to say in verse four, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Where do I look to see that God really wants me to be with him? We look to the cross. We look to the finished work of Jesus. There, we see the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen. The love of the son in obedience to his father as love held him 
on the cross. That you and I would be rescued from hell for heaven through the cross. So that you and I would see the full extent of his love for you. So that you would experience fullness of joy. So that you would be given newness of life in his name. That we might be fit to stand before him for all eternity. Isn't that precious? Look at verse 8 with me. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Do you accept Jesus' words? They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm, pray- I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. What's this sermon all about? Isaiah spoke about it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to her and proclaim to her her sin has been paid for. It's all about comfort. Why? Well, this is the third thing. So that, Je- so that Jesus' people will see Jesus' glory. Again, verse 24 in John 17. Jesus wants his people to see his glory. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. In a way, that's already been fulfilled now. Flick back to John chapter 1 with me. Hold one finger in John 17 and look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The disciples bore witness to Jesus' glory. Not only that, but they also saw his glory through wonders and miraculous signs. Flick over the page to John chapter 2 and verse 11. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. But supremely we see Jesus' glory at the cross in his death and his resurrection as he triumphs over sin and death and hell and Satan and he's victorious. And yet Jesus' glory is also not yet We're still waiting for Jesus' glory as he ushers in his kingdom. On that day, we will all witness Jesus' full glory in its unveiled splendor as he brings in his kingdom. A little bit like the bride as she walks down the aisle to the bridal march. And as the bride comes to the front and kind of pulls back the veil, we get to see her in all her glory. So it will be at Jesus' return when you and I will see finally and fully the glory of Jesus. What we enjoy now is like a tap that's been turned on a little bit. A little bit my kitchen sink. It's had a constant drip for ages. We get the dripping tap now uh, every single day. The constant glory of God being revealed to us as we pray, as we read God's word, as we meet together as a fellowship. Constantly, that constant drip. But then on the last day when we meet Jesus face to face, it's like we're going to be stood underneath the full waterfall 
of Jesus' glory, the full torrent will be turned on, will be saturated and consumed with the glory of Jesus Christ. On that day, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. 1 John chapter 3, John puts it like this. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The glory of Jesus Christ, which you and I will see, is Jesus in his full glory as God. The glory which Jesus enjoyed prior to his rescue mission before he came to earth. Well, what does this mean to you? Well, no matter how unwanted anyone could ever make you feel or will ever make you feel, and I know that some of you have been made to feel unwanted in this church, please accept my apology for that. We're sorry for that. But no matter how unwanted you've been made to feel through life, when you compare that to the desire that Jesus has for you, to know that Jesus wants you, that should far outweigh any pain or hardship or sorrow you may have had to experience or will ever experience during your earthly life. For if the King of Glory wants you, well, that changes everything. That's a game changer. That should revolutionize how we think, how we act towards those who've treated us really badly, how we pray for those who ridicule us. And I think there's a, a, the Christian here should be rightly moved by this, emotionally speaking. There should be a profound sense of satisfaction and joy and comfort and hope in what Jesus says in these words, in this final petition of his prayer. For our ultimate hope and comfort rests not on how much we love God or our great desire to be with God, but on the love the Father has for the Son and on the obedience and love the, the Son has shown to the Father and that you've been given as a gift from the Father to the Son. But a word to the non-Christian, a word to the person who's just keeping Jesus at arm's length, there's no comfort for you this morning, but a prayer. I pray that you have no peace and no comfort until you find the Prince of Peace and the God of all comfort. And if you want to think about that more, then um, please take up one of two options. Either come and speak to me afterwards and kind of harass me at how I could pray such a horrible prayer for you, uh, or speak to the person who you came with, or secondly, I'm running an Alpha course on the 27th of September. Why don't you come along? And for those of you who are already Christians, experiencing the comfort that Jesus brings, why don't you bring someone that you know who's not yet a Christian so they can find comfort in the God who, who is the one who brings comfort? Come and bring your questions and bring your friends. Well, let's pray together. Comfort, comfort my people. Lord, would we be a people who experience your comfort this morning through the Prince of Peace. Amen.